Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today. Back again in full effect in the Detroit is Different podcast studios. I have another interview with somebody I've known his whole life. Somebody I've known most of my life. Family. So it's always great to get family a part of what I'm doing with Detroit is different. And soon you're going to see more of my family and kind of the structure of how this all exists. But this is a younger cousin, but younger in age, but definitely with uh, projects, wisdoms, creativities, something I learned something from. He's been on Detroit is different before when it was under a different format when I was doing like more shorter stories but now we get the longer story longer story of devin laster devin how you feeling i'm feeling great man glad to be here all right so uh we've been talking about this for a while because yeah. it's been a lot of trips where you come back because right now you don't reside in detroit right, right. And actually you haven't resided in detroit in a minute it's been a long minute yeah yep but um so uh a lot of this story about you as an artist uh, and coming together with artistry. Uh, so that's acting, that's also visual art, and other creative projects, plays, writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you dove right in, and when we talk about cousins and everything like that, that kind of yeah, goes back to my sister, right, right. Dara. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> who's like a blueprint of like everything oh, you man. do, yeah. she does. And kind of the only thing that is missing now is Dar's deep in animation. And I can only imagine it'll only be a short stint before you get into that world, too. Uh, Probably not. Actually, a lot of people don't know. (laughs) I was accepted into um, SVA, School of Visual Arts in New York, under animation. Hmm. And that's really what I wanted to get into, what I thought I wanted to get into. But it just cost too much. It cost way too much. They wanted to have the entire first semester accounted for financially. And I was able to get a lot in student loans, financial mm-hmm. aid, whatever. And um, I got my ID. I got my schedule. I even got my books. And I got some DVDs for me to, you know, for me to check out and to see what the students were doing. And I was very excited. And I was like, oh, I can't get these last few thousand dollars. I, I can't even go. But in the long run, I think that was for the best. I was only 17 at the time. So I didn't really. I, I think I knew I wanted to do art, but uh, visual art. I mean, I was. Uh, yeah, visual art, but not not really understanding exactly what kind. Mm-hmm. So um, I just appreciated animation so much. But then I started doing my own artwork, and I never had a painting class. I just started doing it on my own. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with the canvas and the actual physical paints, so much so that I'm like, oh, I think I, I would have not liked the whole digital aspect of it. Hmm. So, yeah. All right. So that's already some of the gems that I'm going to get from this. I usually start for people with all stories. And these are questions I definitely know. Um, Mm -hmm. Foundation, family. Yeah. Uh, Because right now you're beyond Detroit. You kind of starting our our chapter of the family in different places. Mm -hmm. You and my sister Dar. Right. But uh, let's talk about like your roots and your family roots. Yeah. Uh, Whereabouts? Uh, How did they come to Detroit? How did my family come to Detroit? Yeah, why? Um, you you know you know more of this than I do. <laughs> I, I, I definitely know but, a good amount. Yeah. So so my immediate you know guardians, my mother and my father. Mm-hmm. Um, my father's from Goodwater, Alabama, originally, mm-hmm. and he come up here every summer to spend time with other family members of his who stayed right next door to where my mom was living at uh-huh. the time, which was uh, very close to here. As a matter of fact, yep. And um and yeah, so they got to rapping with one another and spend time with each other a lot. And one day, you know, one thing led to the next, and my mom and him started a, a more serious connection. And he moved up here from Alabama, and then you know started a whole family unit: myself and my older sister Donna. Mm-hmm. All right, so within that connection, um, you say Alabama. Whereabouts Alabama? You ever been down there? How small of a town? How big of a town? What was that feel like? Yeah, yeah, it was Goodwater, Alabama. It's it's hard to even say that city without having an accent to it. It's so so country. And I went well once as an older person. I wasn't even fully an adult yet. I was only eighteen. Um, I know I went when I was a child, but I can't remember that. And I I'll never forget the the. It's a joke, but it's also serious. When we go into town. My dad would say, okay, and this is downtown. And literally five seconds later, he's like, all right, that was downtown. 
so that, that's how small the city was and the very small niche community it was one grocery store one barbershop there was actually only one traffic light in his neighborhood so yeah that's how how small niche the, the town was but i don't know a part of me i honestly loved it i was living in new york when i went as an older person somewhat of an adult and to get away from the fast moving life of new york city to go to a place where literally didn't have a phone connection most of the time I was there. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Okay. All right. So that's that kind of perspective. Uh, as as I know, um, that's your dad and your mom's story. I definitely yeah. know. But for the people watching, let's share that side of the story. Your mom in Detroit. What's the relationship between your mom and Detroit? My mom in Detroit. Her foundation is is. Man, it's ridiculous. I, my older sister and I get stopped, I would say, kind of on a regular, especially when I was living here. Mm-hmm. And you miss green children? You miss green son? You miss green daughter? Hilarious. <laughs> and with so much <laughs> happiness to see mm-hmm. just the children of someone who impacted their lives so much because my mom has been teaching English to high school students since 1999. Mm-hmm. And still to this very day, ongoing at, at Cass Technical High School right downtown Detroit. Yeah, and uh, also the school that I went to for high school, and you know a lot of students were like, "Oh man, it's got to be weird to have your mom as you know teaching in the building." I never had her as a teacher, but to be in the building, your mom is like in the building mm-hmm. teaching while you while you going to school, and it only wasn't weird because she was such a great parent. But more importantly, for this you know side of the story, she was an amazing teacher, and everyone people, loved her. Uh, People weren't pulling you to the side like, hey, why your mom get me? Exactly. No, because <laughs> if she did, then she should have. Like, <laughs> But, um, uh-huh. you know, she was an amazing teacher and, and all her students loved her so much. And it's like she has she actually has <laughs> kind of telling her age, but she has students who she taught who now have children who are now going to Cavs Tech as well. Mm-hmm. So she's teaching like the second generation of the students she taught. Yeah. And you know everyone loves her so much even the students who did bad in her class you know years later in retrospect uh, they're like damn i should listen to miss green miss green was right about this thank you yeah. miss green for helping me so yeah that's i mean you know the impact she has on not just detroit but you know cast tech students when they graduate they go all over all right so let's talk a little bit about cast tech as that's been a topic of a couple of my last couple interviews okay uh, interviewing technicians uh-huh. um so your mom, as I've interviewed her before as well, is right. definitely beloved. Uh, one of the most beloved teachers there yeah. at CAS, but also DPS in general, like yeah. awards, national awards for teaching. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what's that journey like for you uh, going to CAS? And you started at, as they say, the old CAS. Right. I did. So uh, what was that experience like uh, when you got in and why did you choose to go to CAS? I think, you know, being so young, that's the school that my mother was teaching at, the school that my older sister was already going to. And before I, you know, in middle school, I would go, I would be at CAS a lot. I'd uh-huh. be there because my sister was in the in the uh, dance groups and, and my mom, uh-huh. of course, would have, you know, me being as young as I was, just had to follow around and be wherever they were. And I saw it firsthand. I had, I had a great opportunity to see it on the regular firsthand often. And I was like, man, this is a really cool atmosphere this is a great vibe I, I like this place and i wondered i didn't know i'm like oh, do i have an art department because i've always wanted to do art like i said yeah. always wanted to do art do they have what, what's the art department looking like and on the seventh floor this old building on the seventh floor there was a uh, drafting whole like wing basically and they had the school the the projects of, from the students on the walls in the hallway so anybody could just walk in, walk up and down and look at it. And I looked and I'm like, yo, these students did this. This is kind of crazy. This is awesome. I would love to be able to do something like this. So my mom had me talk to some of the art teachers and it, it just became the place that I wanted to go to, you know, and uh, the rest is history. All right. So that journey at CT. Yeah. What was it like for you uh, as far as like socially? What was it like for you? Mm-hmm. And then artistry, uh, where, where did you hone your skills there? Uh, wh- what impact has that had on you? So much, so, so much. That was when I really started to perform on stage mm. uh, under the teachings of Miss Marilyn McCormick, who's not retired, mm-hmm. but, and the impact she's had on so many, you know, students yeah. in the theater business is, is, uh, is unspeakable. She won a Tony Award just a couple years back. Yeah. And um, that was just like a huge monumental thing for me to watch someone who taught me everything I knew about theater 
receive a Tony Award. I was I was blown away by that. But yeah, that's when I first started getting on stage, and it was mainly comical things. I didn't get into the dramatic theater at the time, but still just learning everything about theater. And I was a very small little nugget in the bigger productions that she did there, but absorbed every bit that I could, you know. Yeah. And as soon as I graduated, Cass. When I moved to New York and started doing theater, like on a dramatic scale, I went right back to everything I learned from MC is what we called her, Miss McCormick. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to go under her wings in those you know, three years at Cass when I was involved with the, with the drama club taught me everything I knew. And I was able to you know, take that to New York, grow with that, take that back here when I came back home, then take that to California. All right, and and you bounced around, but with it, like I remember your play of School Days. Yeah, I remember. I still actually have um, casted a rendition of School Days. Yeah, and uh, you were in G five G. Yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> I got a sign. I, I you got, got, are you I got a signed uh, program. A play bill. Oh <laughs> yeah, my yeah, play bill. Um, Man, so you know that was almost twenty years ago. Yeah, talk about it. Time flies, but yeah. w- within it. That also was like, I remember like your summer, I think your senior summer, like I, I've never had a per se roommate, but the closest mm-hmm. thing to a roommate I've ever had was you. And what's strange is the closest thing my sister probably has ever had to like a roommate <laughs> was me. you as well. <laughs> yeah. But uh, during that time yeah. last summer, I was working on a production, rest in peace Kool-Aid. Um, mm. I was working mm. on a production at Northwest Activity Center. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I don't know how to open these curtains. I don't know <laughs> nothing about this. Yeah. And then I was like, hey, you know how to do this? <laughs> and then he was like, yeah. And then he was like, I can I can post up and stay with you. And I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. So you helped that. that. Yeah. You remember that? I do. I do. <laughs> I remember you, there's a picture that exists of you, myself, your mom right outside the, the, the theater. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I remember that. Okay. All right. So, and, and then that kind of set me up with uh when my sister Dara was working on a movie and I was yes. like yo one of the best people that you could ever work with I was like I'm gonna straight up tell you he young but you want to get Devin to come man I didn't help. know that that's how that happened yeah you talking about sweeter without sugar yeah so let's talk yeah. a little bit about your introduction to New York yeah and it was yeah, almost yeah. like I was negotiating between family I was like Dara you probably need to work with Devin and then I was like Devin you know how much I love, uh, I don't know if you remember this talk. I was like, Devin, you know how much I love Detroit. You know how much I love artistry, but it's way more opportunities for what you want to do in New York. In New York yeah. I think you need to tap in with what Dar's doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, yeah, let's definitely talk about it. I mean, I remember that like it was tomorrow, shit. Uh-huh. So it was my senior year at Cass yep. when she was doing Sweeter Without Sugar. And uh, I went to New York for those two weeks. I got the permission from, you know, all the teachers and everybody of course my mom was supportive and on board with this with this little journey here mm-hmm. and stayed with dar in that studio apartment i mean it was it was a couple of us because it was yeah it me, was yeah we you, had we had a my mattress mom. in the kitchen i mean it was that <laughs> it was, was a the few worst of us. air mattress ever oh, it, the goodness. air mattress it, kept it, losing. It deflated so we, over the night <laughs> so me Devin, and dar would like rotate who ended up on it <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> yeah, somewhere like it. after like maybe like an hour asleep i don't know if y'all ever slept on a bad air mattress yeah, you, you were here <laughs> damn <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, you feel the floor on your back. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I remember that vividly. Um, but no, it was it was wild the way that went down because I know that I was just supposed to help out with you know in whatever way I could. Mm-hmm. There wasn't like a, a specific position for me. I guess production assistant would be the closest title that I was having for those first one two days, and then. Uh, I don't know how this happened exactly, but we lost the camera operator. I don't know if he got another job or just didn't come back, whatever the case was. Mm-hmm. And I told Dara, I said, I can, you know, let's not lose any time. I can I can get this shot or these couple of shots right now if you mm-hmm. if you want me to. And on that third day, I, I did all the shooting on that third day. And after that day was over, we just like, I'll just I'll just keep doing it then. Yeah. So that's a that's a <laughs> it's a camera operating um, credit that I have at the age of 16. All right. And now that you've been in this world for a while, because yeah. I want you to speak on like being prepared, ready and ready to step up and take the opportunity. Cause the world of production, all these production works, plays, mm-hmm. concerts, uh, theater, like 
usually it, it takes like if you're ready, you can end up in a position yeah. with just being a person that doesn't start, talk too much, doesn't, you know, r- ruffle any feathers, mm-hmm. but is willing to accept whatever the information is. Because sometimes, you know, um, sometimes the person that, uh, that just receives the information well. It mm-hmm. follows whatever that direction is. Yeah, moves up the moves mm-hmm. up the ladder of in best position all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a. I think it's a couple of things. Like, like you said, doesn't ruffle any feathers. Listens well because you know on film sets, especially the larger ones, and even in theater, it's organized chaos. It's like consistent organized chaos. So. If you have your role and know how to be in your role mm-hmm. and not be bothered or moved or, you know, distracted by all the other things that are constantly going on around you, you you, you will make an impact. And it's noticeable. You know, I've had that opportunity a couple of times where I was only supposed to be working this particular gig one or two days. And it's like, oh, come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. What's the schedule like next week? We'll use you again. I'm like, OK, cool. Cool. Mm. I'm here. So all of this, do you think uh, some of that is just more so your demeanor? Do you think some of this is what you got from uh, theater at cast? What what sets you up? Because it's also as much as it is a person that's able to be calm in the organized chaos. It's also people on the other end of that spectrum. The- <laughs> other side of completely other <laughs> spectrum. I've seen them. Yeah, they you cause chaos. You, <laughs> like that's the mo. <laughs> yes. Um, I think it's a combination, again, um, my natural demeanor. But, you know, my natural demeanor and personality has nothing to do with the knowledge and experience I have. You know, so Mm -hmm. it's like it's all those things combined. I think that can, like you said, propel you uh, along that ladder in this business specifically. Mm -hmm. All right. So acting and right now you actually have something by the time this premieres in January, it'll be passed. But you have a couple of different film projects you're working on short films and yeah. things uh expound on like uh w- what was the gateway from visual art into theater mm-hmm. into f- film like yeah. uh, how did that how did that all connect uh well it in simple it's just the things that i fell in love with and mm-hmm. never wanted to stop doing any of them i remember this is kind of jumping around but there was um was a friend of mine at a bowling alley, we I see her kind of frequently. She worked there, and I love bowling. And I'd be in there a couple of times a week or whatever. And she found out I was a painter, so she was looking at my painting things. Mm-hmm. And then she found out I was an actor. She was checking out some things I'd done, and she found out I was a writer. And she was like, you got to pick one thing. And I was like, no, I don't. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Why? I love them so much. And people always ask me, oh, if you had to do only one, what would you choose? And it's a hypothetical that it's hard for me to entertain because I just can't do that. But to answer your question more directly... The visual art I've been doing since I can literally remember as a as a child, uh, it just kept evolving more and more over the course you know so many years and the course of time. I didn't start painting until I was seventeen after I moved to New York, but I love art for the longest and I always did art. And then acting, I fell into more so in high school, but more seriously, you know, in my college years on the dramatic level, and that was specifically stage. But, see, I've always loved film. I've always loved watching movies. I didn't understand that it was something that I wanted to be a part of, necessarily. But when I was a kid, I, would, I don't know if you remember this. You might remember this, actually. I used to have a book bag, and I would carry three or four of the same movies, VHS, in my book bag. And whenever we'd go to family events, I'd ask them, can I, can I get to a TV so I can watch this movie? And I would burn those movies out like it was no tomorrow. And that was just something I was so in love with. Um, but once I started doing acting more on stage, I started to understand more of what kind of acting I wanted to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was born on the stage and theater is always my first love. And I, I'll, I'll always go back to it. I'm sure I just did a two man play a few months ago. I'll always go back to it. But the more I, I did it, the more I kept watching you know, films. I'm like, yo, that's that's the kind of acting I actually want to get into more. And that's when I made the decision to relocate to California it took me about eight years to get there from, you know, New York and coming back home to Detroit. But that was the decision I made with that. So, yeah, I'm like overall, it's just it's the things that I fell in love with and never wanted to stop doing. I started writing in 2010. That was, you know, really thanks to your sister mm-hmm. for this uh, workshop that I was a part of. I never thought of writing before. I never thought of creating my own stories. I did it one time. I wrote a short stage play. It was literally three pages long. It was called Closer. 
It's 2010. And the feeling I had of creating my own story, my own characters, my own plot and synopsis and character developing, I'm like, yo, this is, this just, it just opened up so much more for me. Mm -hmm. And I haven't stopped writing since. So I've done a lot of, you know, short films and a couple of feature length screenplays and started to produce my own writings as well and just falling in love with it more and more. So as people are definitely gleaning into some of the creativity of our family and everything, you mentioned my sister. Yeah. Uh, you also got an uncle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Your uncle is when people say, like, how do you do all of this? And he's definitely been on here. Lamumba Reynolds, mm-hmm. DJ R2. I remember him originally. Right. Damn, I forgot about that. Um, man. How, w- what impact... Of like just seeing some of the creativity and then Mm -hmm. even me, uh, like what impact of seeing some of the creatives in your family doing production work kind of impact have on you? Man, so even more than the impact, because at this point, him and I are collaborating hand in hand with our own projects. And I I cannot be more excited about this. Um, But coming up under someone who was so heavily involved in production, more in a musical sense, which is not, you know, something I involve myself in, but still production mm-hmm. and theater, I should say, because he's, he's dibbled in all of those different things. Um, being able to learn so much from him and then him bring me on with the, you know, certain gigs he was doing. And I learned so much from it, similar to Miss MC, you know, when it comes as far as what I learned from theater, from MC, I learned production from Unk is what I call him, but, you know, Lil Reynolds. And um, for us to grow into this type of relationship is it's beyond words man because it started with him being a mentor you know a father figure mm-hmm. well before i had the thought or capability of doing anything production wise no training no, none of that stuff it was just like he was my father figure mm-hmm. and then to come up to where we are now we have a meeting tomorrow to talk about the next short film we're going to do mm. this uh two two weekends ago we had a screening for two short films one of which i wrote and was in that he did the editing and graphics and scoring mm-hmm. along with his son, Jabari Reynolds, who's a whole nother beast in his own world. Yeah. And then uh, the other short film I wrote and started and he directed and mm-hmm. edited and scored. Yeah. So it's this partnership that we're, we're developing. It's just I'm just beyond happy about it, man. So uh, another another couple questions then yeah. connected to to this um, about art in Detroit and art in family. So let's start with art and production because sometimes people say, you know, uh, money and blood don't mix. How, how do you connect the artistry in these projects working with family members? That's a good question. And that, that goes down to our personalities and who we are as people in our family. Mm-hmm. You know, we've never had that type of, that type of issue. You know what I mean? Um, actually, it's funny because this was, uh, this was a while ago, and somebody, there was a cousin who asked for 20 bucks. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'll cash up to you, bro. And I'm like, yeah, I'll get, I'll get it to you Friday. I'm like, all right, cool. And someone else who, you know, intruded on that on that exchange was like, your cousin just asked for $20? Mm-hmm. You going to give it to him? And I was like, yeah, what's, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Because of how that can be looked at in other families, it's like, oh, he always asking for money, or they never give me back my money. It's like, that ain't that ain't what this is. That ain't mm-hmm. what this is here in this family. That's just an example of just how we are with our characters, you know, because that's that's at the root of it right there. And that's how I was brought up. It's all about the character because Unc and I, we we had this uh, screening and a lot of things cost a lot of money. We, I'm spending money on mine. He's spending money on his end, not even knowing like what's happening. With, and I asked him about because he printed off several copies of uh, film posters for us to sell. And I asked, him, I said, what do I, what do I, what do I owe you? He's like, well, this costs this and this costs this, but this is a partnership. This is a, you know, we're coming together and doing this together. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get this next if you want to chip in on that or if not, that's fine. But this is, we're coming together for this because it's not about the money. Okay. And that, I think that's the next part, honestly. It's not about the money. Mm-hmm. For me, I'll speak for myself personally. I'm in love with this and I'll do this to my last breath. And my inspiration it's just me doing something that I love and sharing my art with the world. Mm-hmm. It's not to make money off of it. Obviously, I'm going to have to because that's what you need to survive. But at the end of the day, that's not the motivation. So I'm not like, oh, I need some money from this screen. I need some money from this. I need to make some money. No, that's not mm-hmm. what it is. 
and uh, and then art in Detroit because mm-hmm. you've you've uh, you're in L.A. now. Well, I don't know. We explicitly said you said Cali, but yeah. you're in L.A. now. You were in New York City, New York, right? Uh, and you've also done artistry things here. Um, what is it like for those artists that that work in that world of uh, that are looking to get more into acting or film? What, what would you say if they're if they're going to ground themselves in Detroit? How, what's the mindset to say? What is the catalyst of, of going to another place? How, how do you engage? So let's just start there. Doing art here, mm-hmm. doing theater or acting here in the city of Detroit. What is that like? Or what was that like for you, I should say? It was, it was, uh, it was good. It was good. And I say it's a lot to be learned from doing theater here in Detroit. You know, every place has a different kind of audience. And that Detroit audience, you got to get them. You got to get them quick. So explain. Oh, so I'm saying like literally on stage, if you're presenting your, you know, your production to a Detroit audience, you have to reel them in fast. Mm -hmm. First off, it's going to be hard for them to come out because, you know, the winners last seven months here in Detroit. Hilarious. And and. Uh, the, for depending on the age group, the generational you know age groups we have here, the last thing they want to do is go to a play. It's mm-hmm. about going to a hangout, going to a club, a bar, you know the movies. It's it's not that type of place necessarily. I mean, you, you got to find your audience kind of thing. So that's what I'm saying. You know, in New York, people go to plays every single weekend. Mm-hmm. It's easier to sell a play. In a place like New York or even Cali or, you know, Los Angeles specifically because that's where it exists more. It's where it's understood more. Um, here it's like it's a, it's a unique, as I would say, it's a unique challenge to do it here. That two-man play that we did here, the second showing we had went very good, very good. And they were very responsive. The first showing, only a couple people came out to. You know, so it, I think it depends on, like, knowing your audience uh, as far as doing theater here. And then doing, doing theater outside of here. I mean, anywhere else for that matter. I would say if I'm giving advice to younger actors, Mm -hmm. do as much theater that comes your way. When you say that, meaning like, uh, what if if I only get like one line in that? What if they say be a production assistant? Do it. What if they say be the person at the door taking tickets? Do it. Do it. Because even if you're not on the stage, even if you're guiding people to their seats, you can observe everything and be a fly on the wall. You can watch the production from the house if you're doing security or checking coats, whatever it is, and you can still learn something. You know, I, I've taken on those the smallest of roles. I had I had theater roles where I didn't have a single line. I just walked on stage and, and walked over here and did a little bit of this. But it's like, even <laughs> I wasn't even in character when I was on stage. I'm literally looking at the stage and looking at the at the house, thinking, okay, cool, I, I get I get some of this now. And the lights burning on my on my skin. I'm like, okay, I. I that's something I have to get used to and not, not being able to see the audience. Like, I get used to it. Okay. So, so by the time where I was a leading character in the stage production, I'd already been on stage a dozen times. Mm-hmm. You know, I got a paragraph in this show. Now I got two pages worth in it. Oh, now I'm in half of this play. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm only sharing the stage with one other person. Mm. Oh, all right, cool. I can do it though, because I've been doing this for years. I've been observing a, absorbing and observing for years from every angle you can think of mm-hmm. now the advice i gave you was i think it's way more opportunities in a place like la or yeah. new york then i think i would curate that a little bit different <laughs> i probably like say it in a way like you know here you gotta approach it differently but let me yeah. get your, your advice so that young actor mm-hmm. uh, do do they need to if they're thinking i gotta be in la i gotta be in new york Possibly it's more productions in Atlanta now, too. So mm-hmm, possibly definitely. Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, do they need to be there? Uh, uh, and if so, how would they even prepare themselves for a transition? It's, it's the latter of that question that I think is more important because do they need to be there? Depends on what they want to do exactly, but probably in a place where you can really live off of it. You know, you can really do it. It's a special occasion when there's a big play here in Detroit. It's a special thing that's going on. Like I said, those other mm-hmm. locations you can throw in Chicago as well. You can throw in Houston as well. Mm-hmm. You can throw in, you know, Miami. It's it's a thing there. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. It's a regular thing. But as far as preparing for it, that goes back to what I was saying before. Take on every production you possibly can right now. And some people gave me some advice uh, when I was starting to write. 
it was another, it was an older writer who said, read scripts, read scripts, and it will underst- you will understand how to then construct them. He said, just go to Google, print out scripts of your favorite films, or and, not or, but and films that aren't good. Read those too to understand how to construct your own. So if I was to you know, transfer that over to what we're talking about right now, um, do all the theater. Do all the theater. When I was here for those eight years, and it was only I only planned on it being like three months. I'm so glad it was eight years instead because I was able to learn and grow so much. I did a handful of theater. I was like, yo, this sucks. These people are not bringing it. This, this scheduling is all over the place. They're changing the script a little bit. It's like, ah. But that kind of stuff prepares you. Mm-hmm. So that if and when you make that transition and now you're you know off Broadway, you can roll with it. You good. You got it. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, now let's talk a little bit about bringing it and everything as we sit not that far from the repertory theater, which yeah. is like uh, a couple blocks away. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you even judge what bringing it is and the level <laughs> of talent? You know, I want to do a play. <laughs> You know, uh, I don't even know if people are going to want to be in this play. I'm that writer. Like, how do you work with what you got? I think it starts with what I said initially first, which is just um, you got to be doing something that you love. When I was first starting to do different film jobs, I was doing every kind of film job. And I was talking to a camera operator and he was like, do you is this what you really want to get into? I was in the camera department. I was like, well, I I love acting. You know, I want to get into writing. He's like, oh, you got to do that. If you do this, what you're doing right now, you're going to get more jobs doing this, and it's not going to stop. You have to do what you love. You know, he loved it. 16-hour days, mm-hmm. he loved it. So you, you got to do what you love. And the next part is being honest to yourself. You know, when I'm, when I'm writing something, very seldomly am I writing something about, like, me or my experiences, my life, but I'm still trying to be honest and true within those characters and i love sci-fi too but there's still an honest and a truth to how you construct that story that plot those characters the character development the character building so with whatever the story is you be honest with yourself be truthful to the the, to what the story is and put it out there okay all right so if if i have this story you know, I, I got the 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 church said they'll open up this, yeah. or the gym said, "Hey, right, right. open this. This is my yeah. first play." Yeah. Um, you know, do I just got to jump out there? Do you suggest just jumping out there, like and, and going at it? Like, how do I even know that I'm ready? Which is a big question for yeah. for anybody that works in the creative space. Well, you'll never know unless you do it. I mean, I, I would honestly say yes. Jump, dive. Uh, Steve Harvey gives this amazing metaphor and I might butcher it up a little bit but it was in between takes of uh, his talk show and he talked about um, you can never fly unless you jump you gotta jump off of that rock you're gonna you know scrape the side a little bit you're gonna cut yourself you may do a free dive for several feet but if you don't jump you'll never fly Mm-hmm. You'll just you'll never do it. So I know a lot of people allow fear to prevent them from propelling themselves into those types of artistic fields, and that, and they'll never know because they'll never jump. And, and, and even deeper, as you said, you do this because you love the artistry and it's something mm-hmm. that you want to get out and release. Yeah. Um, how, how do you even set up your barometer for success? Because when you make that move to L.A., when you make that move mm-hmm. to to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you may feel like I'm making this move, but I, I don't know. You're making it on faith and you may yeah. get, you know, you may have other questions, people calling you, you know, your mm-hmm. mom calls you like, Hey, how you doing out there? And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I got seven roommates. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm trying to, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm in a rock and a hard place right yeah. now. Like how, how, how have you set yourself up where you have your own barometer of success and quality of life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a perfect question because, and again, I may sound like a broken record, but I'll give like specific examples because it all boils down to you doing what you love. I've had times where I had negative dollars, but I was fine mm-hmm. because I know that I'm making this sacrifice because I, I love my craft. That's how much I love it. So I'm cool with being broke. Mm-hmm. I've been broke so many damn times, I done lost count. Yeah, But it don't matter because I'm doing what I love. And the success part, it depends on what your definition of success is. Because I always talk about how I'm successful if I'm making a living 
no matter what scale of that living is, if I'm making a living doing what I love, that's success. I'm successful right now because that's what I'm able to do right now. There are higher levels of it, obviously, which is what I'm climbing. But what's your definition of success? Now, how do you quantify something like that? Because usually I think that pressure, that anxiety comes mm-hmm. from that outside world. It's family. It does. It's friends. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's your partner. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah your yeah. wife, husband, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, girlfriend, boyfriend. Uh, it's the people that, you know, you used to work with. That's like, man, you're the best. A, but now nah, you choosing to do that. That don't even make no sense. Yeah. You're too old to get out here and start acting. Yep. Like, what, what you doing? You're 60 yep. years old. You know, yep. like, how do you... How do how how what would you suggest to that person that that does feel that pressure that has some of that mm-hmm. anxiety about taking that jump? I would say for starters, ignore them, ignore them all. I mean, unless you're literally doing something that's unsafe or unhealthy, ignore the outside voices. And something that gave me a nice little boost was looking at those success stories. You know, who do you look look up to? Who do you admire in the in the craft and field that you're operating in? Mm-hmm. Watch those stories because it, you gave a perfect example. You're too old to get out there and start acting. Morgan Freeman didn't do his first big role until he was in his mid what fifties, late forties, something like that. Hmm. I'm like, well, shit, I'm way ahead then. I'm good. Hmm. You know, Samuel Jackson, same story. Yeah, um, there's so many actors. Uh, Jeremy Renner, he was my age when he did his first big film mm-hmm. and got nominated for an Oscar for it. Mm. So with this field specifically, it's never too late. Wow. It's never too late. Okay. Now, within it, what's the difference between um, a place like uh, like having your Detroit swagger? Do you think that your Detroit attitude prepared you for L.A. and New York in a different style? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think so. I think there were like tears of preparedness along my journey because growing up on the west side of Detroit – where it's not the safest of areas. And then, you know, going to college in Harlem and living in Harlem before it became fully gentrified. And then mm-hmm. going over to Inglewood, you know, it's like, that's a, that's a, I, I, I like that. I like that story. I like that history. Inglewood is way different now than it was in the 90s, but it's still gang territory. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, it started with the Detroit roots because every time somebody, oh, you in Harlem? Oh, watch out. You you near Malcolm X Boulevard. Every mm-hmm. every city got a dangerous Malcolm X Boulevard. You over here in Inglewood? Well, yeah, yeah. It's like usually the joke <laughs> is Martin Luther King, but if it's a Malcolm X, like, damn. <laughs> 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 think Martin Luther King is dangerous. Like Malcolm X is like yeah. whoa. It's like and then I remember because because you stayed with my sister. Like it was. Yeah. I th- I think like one time uh, when I was dropping my mom. driving my mom rest in peace to my mom Mm, but uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was like maybe like two in the morning and it was still people out the action was still like characters on on 133rd man 133rd and Lennox Mm -hmm. it never stopped man it never Mm -hmm. stopped but yeah it all started with I think being able to develop that that uh, core and external shell from being raised in Detroit Okay, uh, so with that, what's next? What uh, what you working on now? What what are your projects? What what's your next projects? What do you see um, coming up? It's a few things. It's it's more than a few things. Um, so I, I previously mentioned two short films that my uncle and I had a screening for a couple weekends ago, and he he actually had this idea, and I wasn't sure if it was going to work or not to. Have all these short films, not all, but several of the short films I've done recently exist in the same world, you know, like the Marvel shared cinematic universe mm-hmm. kind of thing. And when he when he said that, I thought, man, that would be awesome. Does it work, though? So we we're literally talking out the plot points of each short film that would be a part of this, you know, this pool. So, like, connecting them in, like, a... What is that? Uh, and he likes this too, like Twilight Zone type of thing or something. Well, not like in reality, just straight up. It's just the same character, but at different por- parts of his life. Yeah, that's what where I say like, okay, okay. So when I say Twilight Zone, because sometimes the Twilight Zone will use one story and connect it to the oh next yeah story exactly to the next story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, gotcha. just like that, just like that. Uh, so yeah, he had that idea, and I'm like, oh, it's got to make sense though. Does it? Does it really add up? And we looked at everything, and it actually does. I'm like, all right, bet. So there are three more short films 
that I'm going to write that we're going to do to be a part of this collection of, I think it'll be seven or eight total, mm-hmm. once it's all said, ranging between five and ten minutes apiece. So that's a that's a big project that that's you know continuing to work on there, and then I uh, I did a film called Dark Seeker that I shot here up north Michigan, and whereabouts where where did I shoot it Yeah oh man I cannot remember the name of this town it's about two and a half hours up north north yeah mm-hmm. and um and it's in it's in the theater playing right now at the Bel Air Luxury Cinema mm-hmm. over on Eight Mile and it was only supposed to be for a week run from the third to the ninth. I just got the word yesterday that they are extending it for another week. Okay. So I'm excited about that. I uh, saw it a couple of times and, and yeah, it's just, it's a surreal feeling to see yourself on that, on that big screen. I've been watching films. Like I said, since I was a kid taking VHS tapes, to all family members homes just to watch you know, a movie. And now I can, I can see myself up there and it, it's, a, it's a huge feeling. And it's, you know, I feel like it's only the start of the beginning. And I just want to, you know, move forward with bigger and better mm-hmm. things and as far as the visual art is concerned there's a show called personal attractions that i've done three times now once in 2012 2015 2017 2017 and so um this is the fourth show for that and that came about long story probably long but about a decade ago i was collaborating with a couple other artists and at the time, every single show that I'd done, there was a, a specific theme for the type of, you know, the demographic that's going to be present and had some type of thing I had to go with, you know, guidelines or whatever for what I painted and showcased. Mm-hmm. This particular show, I said, okay, so what's the theme? What's this? What are we doing? And they literally said, paint whatever you want. You have space for about mm-hmm. five or six paintings, depending on the size, but just paint whatever you want. Oh, bad. Okay, cool. And that was the first time I was given that type of freedom to do my painting publicly and just do whatever I wanted to do. So from that was the birth of personal attractions. And um, basically, honestly, it's just it's about 10 to 13 different themes, three to four paintings per theme. And it's just all the things that I enjoy, that I love. Will it be all new pieces? or All new pieces. Wow. It's always all new pieces. When I do a personal attraction show, it's always all new pieces. The one we did in 2015, I did 50 paintings for and about went crazy. But um, but I I love pushing myself. I love exploring Mm -hmm. new concepts, new ideas, and I'm constantly growing as an artist as well. So all new pieces for this. Okay. All right. Um, And then also, uh, as you have here, I know you're getting into other things like clothing and uh, working alongside someone else in the family as you definitely yes. stay strong working with family. Uh, Kaylin, yes. uh, who's in the studio now. Kaylin is uh, another one of the younger cousins that's like definitely like a big homie now in like everything business. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. And she works alongside you heavy. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember. I don't know if you remember even when I said, "Yeah, you probably need to extend working <laughs> with Kaylin a lot." She'll probably it's put always Kari dropping the, off <laughs> more of the business <laughs> stuff in order for you because as an artist, yeah. you like staying in art world. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, Kaylin, man, road dog since day one. Seriously, when I did personal attractions one, which was also the first personal showing I had of my art up until mm-hmm. that point, I was collaborating with everyone. Even you and I did a couple of things. I was always collaborating yeah. with other artists, you know. Yeah. But PA One was the first time I did something all that was all me solo. And Kaylin, she literally just was helping out on the day. But I turn over and she's got a clipboard and taking down orders for something. I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, Kaylin's really working the room. Yeah. So after that day, I'm like, yo, you wanna you wanna really help me out and yeah, exactly. do this? So that's you almost structure this chaos. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's been almost ten years now. So uh-huh. every single event I've done, and that goes into the film work as well. Honestly, <laughs> Caitlin has been a part of every single project, showcase, exhibition, everything. She's done contracts for me now. Mm-hmm. She's done it all because that was a goal of mine was to I wanted to just be able to focus on the art. Obviously, I can't do that, you know, mm-hmm. with being my own business and entrepreneur, but. As much as I'm able to have someone else pick up on, especially the business side of things and and money, because she she that's mm-hmm. her world, she does yeah. that. I can focus more on the art. Yeah. So yeah, she's been a humongous help, and that's that's a heavy understatement right there. But yeah. Yep. So um, 
so close and all of this stuff. I've always been pushing like the whole concept of like you need throw pillows, you need yeah, this, you, need you know, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you mentioned that some years back, and I I know at the time I I know I was a little more in my head as an artist. I'm like, no, nah, I just want to paint. I don't want yeah, to yeah. I don't put my stuff on that. But as I got not even just older, but started to become an artist for a living, I'm like, you know. That wouldn't be a bad idea if I did. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's just one of those things like when a person already is spending like fine art, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're making good pieces. This this isn't the art that a person goes to like Pier One or, yeah. or Joanne Fabrics and just buys right. and throws up on the wall. This yeah. is like, you know, if a person's already going to spend $2,000 on a piece, mm-hmm. you know, $1,500, $3,000, $5,000 on a piece. Usually that person is going to rearrange whatever that room is. Mm. They're going to mm-hmm. paint the wall. They're right. going to they're going to want to frame it. They're going to want yeah. like you know, the right art piece usually can change the whole decor of a, mm-hmm. a, a of a person's room. Yeah. So if you're the artist and you're and, and you're the catalyst for why this whole room changes, why is Home Depot going to get 70% of the money? Mm-hmm. associated with the change of this room right right and you can already help even usher in and, and know that you yeah. know i'm gonna yeah. re- want to repaint this wall what what colors are these mm-hmm. what do you suggest uh do you even have a person that comes in and paints the wall or, or and i may want to get a new couch i may want to get a throw rug a throw pillow uh, yeah all of this stuff uh, you, you know what i'm saying yeah. will go into these rooms. Yeah. That's As remember, I was I was telling you a while ago, and it kind of blew your mind. I was like, ask the people that buy your art, like, yo, send me a picture of where you put the painting. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and that is definitely something I do now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, especially after they get it framed, because that, that, at that point, it becomes kind of their world, you know? Yeah. You get the painting raw on canvas, and then you, you get your mat size, you get your, the frame and the design, and now it's above this couch and next to this centerpiece or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no, nah, it really came together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see, like, it, it enters their world. Mm-hmm. And it's more like, a, for you, it was the expression getting out. Yeah. For them, this is accenting, like, who they are, like yeah. a, like a an extension of their personality or something. And that's, honestly, that's those are the beginning questions I have a lot. And I know that came from... The conversations I've had with you, uh, because a lot of people don't really know what they want or what kind of colors or whatever, and I'm like, okay, where do you want to put it in your in your space? Mm-hmm. We measure that whole wall, and then that, that'll give us an understanding of how big you want the painting itself to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know what background colors. Okay, what's what's in what's in the room right now? Let's get a picture. Let's see. So those types of uh, collaborations, I know, it came from you know the talks I've had with you, because before that, I know I just I just paint whatever they asked for, and if they left it up to me. I just do whatever I Your want. Your interpretation. It. Yeah, uh-huh. right. As opposed to trying to still make it be something that's from me, but also can exist. In their world. Exactly. So as we talk more about in their world, and like you say, you you, you bounce between uh, the writing, the acting, the visual art. Like, do you just move over to like this space and say, all right, all right. Cause I, I do a lot of stuff too. Like do you, <laughs> do you move over to this space and say, all right, this is kind of tiresome. Let me bounce over to that space. Like how do you, how do you organize your time to know what project to work on? Um, it's, it's a couple of different things. So like the commissions are always ongoing because that's what is really paying the bills. Mm-hmm. And then whenever I can find the time to do the pieces for like the personal attractions exhibition or any type of um, of the masks we wear, that's another exhibition that's coming up next summer. So whenever I squeeze in time to work on those up until a certain point, then everything else shuts down. I'm only working on that. Mm -hmm. And then um, the writing comes in whenever I'm inspired to. You know, and the film work of other, other, other film projects that comes in whenever I get a call. You know, I'm not heavy out there auditioning just yet. That's going to change a lot of things once I'm able to get my agent out in California and you know go about a whole different method. But, but yeah, it, it's not really like I feel like doing this now or I feel like doing this now. It all depends on what's going on in my world. Okay. All right. And let's talk a little bit about that auditioning world. What yeah. is that like going on those auditions out there? Um, I don't really know. Honestly, um, I haven't really okay. gotten into it yet. Mm-hmm. The little bit of acting I've done out there, it was referral based. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I know the way I want to go about it is to complete my reel. I literally have one clip to add, and my reel will be completed. And then I'm going after the agent, and I want to follow it along like that structure, mm-hmm. where the agent is sending me out on auditions. 
Okay. Because I could do it the other way and just try to go on them, but I've been doing that for so many years, and that's not really how it's done out there, from what I understand. So, you know, mm-hmm. I want to go about it how they, how they do it. The the structure of it. Yeah. And what's L.A. like? Because many people talk like it's it's definitely an infrastructure for it, but what what is L.A.? Um, how, how does it feel different even than New York with the – with that world of theater and acting. <clears throat> it's more of a place where people look for that, you know. It's mm-hmm. not something from my experience younger and, you know, the eight years I was here in between uh, New York and California. It's not something people, hey, what what play you want to check out this weekend? Like, that's not a thing people do here. There's like, there's a theater inside the park I played basketball at in, in Inglewood. It's, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more film than theater in california and theater mm-hmm. is of course more in new york but but yeah i mean that's just it's a it's a bigger response it's a different response people are more patient mm-hmm. you know i did one play called to be dali uh, it was about salvador dali's life kind of like the afterlife and i played an angel it was a three-person cl- uh, cast and the response was just man it was incredible we had people come to see that show three four times hmm. And um, yeah, it wasn't even like in the heart of LA or downtown LA. It was in the outskirts. It was a little, you know, little known theater, Casa One Hundred and One. Shout out to them. And um, yeah, it, it's it's looked at more of a profession and career path, and less of a hobby. And what would you compare that contrast even in New York as far as the hustle there with? That fast pace, way faster pace in New York. I remember, man, I, I got so used to it and was going to school full time, was working full time, was painting, was uh, in a theater theater uh, program mm-hmm. and balancing, juggling all that stuff. I don't hmm. know if I could do it the same way nowadays. I mean, I was like, you know, 17 to 20 or whatever, but it was it was incredibly fast paced. And I moved back to New York, uh, back to Detroit. People had to tell me to slow down mm. physically because I was walking too fast, but mm-hmm. also just in general because I was doing too much to them. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, this is this is how it is over there. That's what I'm used to. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, I got to adapt to how things flow here a little bit. Mm. Yeah, and you, and you think New York even so a little bit of faster pace than L.A. even? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and then uh, do you think that um, – what about the people there? Because a lot of people um, – you know, in both places, aren't necessarily grounded and from there. Uh, right, true, what, true. What have you found with, like, meeting people from L.A. that come to there? Like, what's been their calling card? What was the catalyst for them being in L.A. versus staying where they were at? That's a good question, actually. Yeah, because both places typically is somewhat of a melting pot, especially New York. Mm-hmm. Um, New York is all about that grind and hustle. Folks out in Cali, and, you know, a lot of people say that they're fake and false and bougie and things like that. I think that that's a little extensive just from, you know, my observations being out there just a few years, granted. But people have a different, like, energy and spirituality to them out in, in, in L.A. and Cali in general. It's like they operate on a different plane a little bit. Expound on that. It's, um... In the interactions I've had, it's people are more at one with themselves. They know themselves more and differently. It's more peaceful, more not saying it's the opposing side, you know, in other mm-hmm. places, but it's just it's a more like a spirituality grounded and, and my my chakras are in line, you know, my my energy is this, the vibes are this, as opposed to just a raw uncut <clears throat> in mm-hmm. New York. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so uh, within that, do you see yourself doing productions yourself just out there? And then how is it different? Because it seems like uh, even even with Dara, like it from just from the outside in, it seems as though both of you all were able to go to New York and kind of hit the ground running and do what y'all wanted to do. Whereas with L.A., it seems like y'all kind of got to learn more of the system. Yeah, things are done a little differently out there, you know, and and with because in New York, we were both in doing theater a lot, mm-hmm. which you can just do in New York if you got, you know, if you have that drive, you have that talent, a couple of connects here and there, you're good. You can you can find a niche, you can find a way to get in that in that world, you know, um, 
in Cali, I know we're both operating and attempting to work more in television and film. And I don't think it's that easy just to get in there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. So with, within that, also, like, what's your take on so much of what's happening in that world? The streaming services, the platforms, like, things are expanding. It's mm-hmm. more, as they say, my kind of my world, content creation, period. It's, mm-hmm. like, even bubbling mm-hmm. to, like, the hood movies here in Detroit and Buffalo and Atlanta and yeah. D.C., San Francisco. Like, yeah. what's your take on, like, this this urge for more content to exist on all levels and like yeah. almost like it, it seems like every niche is having a streaming service nowadays. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, I, I think it's great, honestly. I think it's great because there's an audience for everything, you know? So before I'm a, I know that the pandemic has a lot to do with this surge in the streaming platforms, which I'll, I'll touch on that in a second, but let's say three, four, five years ago, there wasn't f- something for everybody on Netflix or on. I can't even think what other streaming platform existed yeah. four or five years ago. But mm-hmm. it wasn't something for everybody, you know, or on cable network or anything like that. But now, one quick search, and they even have it broken into different categories for every type of person. Yeah. You know, there's an LGBTQ category mm-hmm. on some of these streaming platforms, specifically for that audience. That didn't exist a couple years ago. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and the streaming platforms in general, it's, I think it's just that next, that next wave. It's that next stage. You know, you can watch literally on the same day that a movie is released in theaters, you can watch on your couch on the same exact day. HBO Max has this deal with a lot of different movies. Uh, King Richard was one of them. Yeah. The upcoming Matrix 4 is another one. I see. You can watch it on your couch on the same day someone's watching Mm -hmm. it in IMAX in the theaters. So I think that's great because I I don't know the business side of that, how that affects certain studios and the box office in general. But as a consumer, because I'll always be that as a consumer, I think it's I think it works perfectly. There are certain movies where I gotta go to the theater to see this movie. Mm-hmm. I have to be there. I bought my ticket for Spider Man three a week ago. It wow. still doesn't come out for another two weeks. Wow. I gotta be in the theater to see that. But mm-hmm. I saw King Richard in my bed, mm-hmm. seven AM when I rolled over and woke up. Okay. Cause that one I can watch this at home. You know, it's not mm-hmm. the spectacle of sci fi action thriller type of thing. So uh, to be able to, to please everybody in all the different ways, I think is great. Again, I don't know what that means financially for some of these studios, you know, some of these producers, but I think it's great as a consumer. Okay. All right. And uh, and a- as we kind of like uh, get closer to a wrap, yeah. what are what are some of your favorite favorite films? Uh, do you still find yourself a, a fan of film? Because sometimes people get into a world and they, you know check out from you know being like the yeah. the as they say the average joe consumer nah man I'm, I'm i'm more of a fan if that's even possible if that's even possible mm-hmm. um it's 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 funny because the films that i used to watch like i said before it's like three or four films i used to watch on repeat every day as a child i looked at them again when i started to act when i started to write when i started to be involved in film and i looked at it through a different lens mm-hmm. You know, like, The Mask was one of them. Jim Carrey, The Mask. Mm-hmm. I watched that at nausea when I was a kid. Didn't know who Jim Carrey was. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what acting was. That, well, you know, whatever, two-hour, hour-and-a-half piece of material just captured me so heavily as a child. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it again after I started acting. I'm like, yo, he's an amazing actor in this. He's doing great acting. Multiplicity is another one where Michael Keaton plays multiple characters. Mm. and as a young I didn't watch that as a kid necessarily but younger I'm like oh this is pretty cool this is dope as an actor I'm like he's playing four characters mm-hmm. at once huh how did they pull that off so Let, wait let's let's what? talk about that because like you know you got like multiplicity you uh-huh. got the clumps yeah <laughs> you got like uh, whatever that Marlin movie is like and then I sometimes look at that and I think to myself is, you know, my nephew Solomon, he loves those Marlin movies, which I, I feel like physical yeah. comedy, as uh-huh. you're talking about The Mask and even yeah. like Michael Keaton multiplicity, mm-hmm. it transfers well internationally and to yes. young people very well. Yes. Um, but then like, you know, somebody like me looks at it like, man, is this corny? But like, what is the acting chops involved in something like those types of films? 
as much as you know that somebody like me may say, man, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's man, it's so much. It's so much. And I didn't understand it as much until I started doing that myself. There's a few short films where I play two characters. There's one where I play three characters. I'm actually working on one where I'll be five characters. Oh, you get you like uh, you get the Eddie Murphy. Zone. Yeah, I am. I am. I swear, I, am. I love it so much. <laughs> but it the level of difficulty is is like is ridiculous. The one where I played three characters and we're literally all talking to each other at the same time. So the end product, it looks like, you know, something from the the Nutty Professor films or whatever. But to do it, I have to study the script three different times, three different ways to do all three characters. And then when I'm one character, I have to remember what I did and how I sounded and how so I can respond properly as the other character and bounce off of myself, but I didn't do that role yet. I didn't do that side yet, so I got to switch clothes and do that side. It's it's complex and it's very difficult. Okay, and then does the timing just work in? Like now, nah, I'm gonna be a little technical for the people watching. Like, does it just jump cut? So it's like I'm sitting here, like, "Hello, Spider Man. I'm Batman. How you feeling? <laughs> you did that. You threw some webs at somebody, and then you come back in as Batman, and then you like." Or, or you come back in as Spider Man, and it's like, yeah, you got your utility belt on. Like, how does does like it jump cut? Like, what what is it? Or are you actually like consistent in the dialogue, almost knowing what's said in this point in time in your memory? It depends. It depends on just the overall production of it. So there was only one. There was one short film I did where I had to. I, it's only it was only two of me. Me sitting next to myself on the couch. And it was a skeleton crew, bare bones crew, literally just myself and the camera operator. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have anyone present to read my lines for as the other actor. Mm-hmm. I just had to say them in my head and respond facially mm-hmm. and then pick up where I left off in my head and then be the other person and do the same thing back and forth. I don't even know if I'm explaining that. Well. No, no. What you just said okay. is basically that seems it. That would be yeah. Different. But that's that that's that's the non-ideal way because the timing could be off. Yeah. Because if I don't say it as the other actor, the way I said it in my head a second ago, it can be off. So the the way to do it better, uh, more streamlined and effectively, is to have someone like a script supervisor, which Caitlin has been many times, a script supervisor to read the lines off camera for the other actors. So I, and I'll have either a um, I'll have an eye line established to you know who, from when I'm the other person. So eye line for people to know, like basically you have to look at someone if you're talking to someone. But this is where like in animation or something, <laughs> you know, they're talking to a tennis ball. Exactly, they they use tennis balls a lot for eye lines. Mm-hmm. I've used just I would literally just pick a spot on the wall and use that instead. I don't like using another person because it's kind of distracting. Yeah, but I'll just pick a spot. I'll have someone stand in and it's like, okay, I, I would be right there and I would just look at that spot, whether it's a lamp or a spot on the wall, whatever it is. And then um and then so while someone's saying the lines off camera, I'm still looking at where I'm going to be. And then I switch to that person and then the other the script supervisor will say the lines of, you know, the other person. And then just, you know, complete it all like that. And the editing, it works seamlessly. Hmm. Wow. That that's yeah that is that's that's layered. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty complex. I mean, props to you know it's, they call it movie magic when they pull that off. Man, I look at the the dinner table scene at for Nutty Professor and it's like, yo, he's five people right now. Yeah, he's damn near everybody at the table. Mm-hmm. Or there's another less popular one, just because of whatever reason. But it's an amazing film. Uh, whatever happened to Monday? She plays seven people. Literally seven people. There are multiple, multiple scenes where it's only the seven people. And it's it's, it's not like a, a dream sequences or anything like that. She's actually, a, I don't know what seven mm-hmm. sisters are, what, septuplets or something, mm-hmm. whatever it is. But it's it's seven of them. So, And I watched some of the behind the scenes of that. And it's, it's just astounding. It's astounding because she's also different character traits, you know. It was one. They're they're named after the days of the week, so Monday through Sunday, and they're all very different. One's very professional. One's like a party girl. One is a fighter and don't give a shit about nobody else. And it's just like, wow, the way they pull that off was just it's amazing. 
that's uh yeah i may i may go back and and you just gave more context to it i, I definitely know you know me i like more of the dialogue and yeah. stuff so it's, oh so you you know what you saw it mm -mm. Oh. no nah, so i like you know films with dialogue I, i'm more built on okay like how yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know dialogue yeah and, yeah <laughs> you know and the quirkiness and the absurdity sometimes yeah. of what dialogue can be mm -hmm. you know but uh, but yeah, this is all deep. So if a person wants to get in contact with you, uh, get to some of your art, how do they reach out? So on Instagram, it's Devin the Painter, D-E-V-I-N, the Painter. Mm -hmm. um, Facebook is Devin Laster. I know I'm like, you know, oh, hey, using Facebook still. Apparently, that's not a thing to use anymore. Hilarious. I don't have Snapchat or TikTok or what's the other ones I don't have? That, that it would be TikTok. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, but... um. But yeah, I'm, I'm very active on those two social media platforms. I love pushing my art out. That's mm -hmm. honestly how I, you know, I get my business. Okay. All right. And then also you got a calendar. Uh, I'm going to get that calendar. So this will be at the top of the year. So if you need a calendar, I will have that link in there. Uh, get the calendar. I'm getting the calendar. It's shipped to order. So you'll be good wherever you at. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a 2022 feline painting theme calendar. Yep. I've been painting felines for years now, and it's my favorite animal, so I thought I'd you know, do this project to be able to look at throughout the course of the year. All right, for sure. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Peace. Detroit is Different is where you get information, <laughs> artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.